podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the Whistleblowers. Another weekend of quite frankly stupid football is done and dusted and what have we learnt? Well, we learnt that for the first time in its 6,000 year history, the FA Cup will be contested between both Manchester sides. We also learnt that David Moyes maybe is still the right guy for the West Ham job and we learnt that Arsenal are starting to feel the pressure. Speaking of bottlers, there's no Gareth Dobson on the show today and I'm sure it's got nothing to do with the Spurs result yesterday. In his place is comedian and, get this, Tottenham fan Stuart Laws. Stuart Laws, thank you for joining me here today. Let's start with this. How are you feeling about that game yesterday at Newcastle as a Spurs fan? Yeah, there's only one reason why you've booked me today. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In fact, you only ever sort of really message me these days when Spurs are embarrassingly losing, which means it's yes. been great to hear from you quite a lot recently. Yeah, yeah, very busy on the WhatsApp, haven't we? <laughs> um, it, it's it's just ho- it, horrible to watch uh, a team where you, every time Newcastle attacks, you're like, well, they're about to score. Just the chaotic defending, no sort of cohesion in that midfield, and then to watch us go up the other end and actually look dangerous at the other end, because if you've got Kulisevsky, Son and Kane, you will look dangerous. And just to be like, yeah, imagine imagine if we had a defence, if we had any form of mm. uh, tactical ideas or formation plans or anything like that. Well, let's start, let's start with that, because clearly they played a flat four with two full-backs who aren't really full-backs. Poro's not a defensive full-back, certainly, mm. and Perisic during his 100-year career, hasn't really played that much as a proper fullback. He's been no. a wing-back, he's been a winger, he's not really been a fullback. So you're playing this flat four. Uh, who, who was partnering Romero? Dyer. Yep. Dyer's not really great in a two. No. I just, I just don't understand any of it. Stu, as a, as a Spurs fan, talk me through, first of all, that decision to play a flat four with those players, but also more broadly about the Stellini appointment as interim manager. Because to me, from the outside looking in, it looks like they've just, it's just more of the same. It's Conte's best mate. Yeah. So to play four in that game is, I, the problem is you look at Stellini and you go, yeah, he's only ever he's only ever been the main coach for like, what, like five, six games now across when Conte was away and all of that. But mm-hmm. you cannot go to Newcastle and with a squad designed to play three at the back, suddenly decide to play a flat back four. Especially when you've got Sanchez, who everyone obviously has debates about it, but is a player that can play in a back three and at least do enough of a job, even if it's going to be embarrassing or there'll be a mistake that's going to be embarrassing. There is an injury crisis. You cannot make the injury crisis worse by playing Perisic at left back when you have a centre-back like Sanchez or even Tanganga, who can play, if you're going to play... A flat back four. Tanganga's played at right back before. First game yeah, he ever yeah. played, he did that. And he's more defensively minded, isn't he? Yeah, he can Absolutely. actually defend because he's 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 a, he's a centre back really. So his yeah. his his whole mo really is to stop goals. I mean, it, it just seemed it seemed bizarre to me that that first twenty minutes, all the damage was done there. And you're right, it just felt like you could. I text friend of the show Reese James during it, and I said, "Would you take an eight nil at this point? I yeah. think it was five nil at the time." And he said, "Yeah." Yeah, hundred percent taking eight nil because at least it's not what it looked like it could be, which it really felt like it could be double figures. I don't get how you go to Newcastle and not expect there to be incredibly high intensity pressing and harrying, yeah. and it, they just seem to have no 
They had no answer to any of it. And what is stressful is, so I, I, I'm a season ticket holder this year because I thought, you know, Conte's second season, let's get the season ticket, let's watch us win, romp mm. to the title. Um, Huge. The, uh, the home game against Newcastle, they did the exact same thing to us. They pressed and harried. They knew that Spurs tried to play out from the back but don't really have the players able to sort of do that effectively in the way that like someone like Brighton do where they deliberately entice you up onto the, the ball as much as they can. Um, and they they scored goals in that way against us. And then we go to Newcastle and <laughs> we take away the one thing about our defence, which is bodies. And it just makes it far worse. It, yeah. It's embarrassing. Uh, Stellini should never have got the job, no matter, he seems like a nice, decent guy. Shouldn't have got the would job. You, would you keep him at the end of the season? Well, he's gone now. Here's the thing. Breaking news. I yeah. started this podcast. He has gone, yeah. There's been a, 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 a statement put out by Spurs, by Daniel Levy. That's done. He says, Sunday's performance against Newcastle was wholly unacceptable. It was devastating to see. We can look at many reasons why it's happened. And whilst myself, the board, the coaches and the players must all take collective responsibility, ultimately the responsibility is mine. He says that, but sacks the manager. So he's gone. So Stellini has gone. I didn't know that when we started the show. Did you know that when we started? Yeah, I saw. I had a little quick <sighs> peek at Twitter and saw the okay. statement. Well, he's gone. I mean, does that mean, is it a no-brainer that Ryan Mason gets it? Is there any point in that happening? I mean, what's the what's the thinking here? It's entirely what should have happened in the first place. As soon as Conte goes, Ryan Mason should have been the, the stopgap or you immediately hire Poch and don't fuck around. Mm. So it's either, you're, it's either you're going to go for Poch or you're not, in which case if you're not, you wait until the summer... You have Ryan Mason in. He's done. He's done an absolutely solid job last time. Yeah. You know, and he's yeah, trusted by the players. Now, normally Gareth Dobson co-hosts this with me, and he's also a Spurs fan. So I don't want it to be too Spurs heavy yeah, every single yeah, yeah, week. Yeah. I apologise for any other fans of other teams listening to this and getting furious. But it's difficult not to talk about Spurs as the lead topic when we got a Spurs co-host again, and that happened yesterday. But let's talk about Newcastle because I thought. And I think actually all season they've been fantastic, but that mm. felt like uh, that felt like that sort of mid to late nineties Newcastle where anything can happen if you go to St James's Park. And famously they walloped Man United five nil up there in maybe ninety six, ninety five, ninety six. Oh, with that, like that bloody that lovely lob, Philippe Albert chip, yeah, yeah, to make it five. But it feels like Newcastle are building towards something like that again now. Um, how impressed have you been with Newcastle this season? And oof, are they a shoe in now for top four? Yeah, it's now it's it's done, isn't it? The top four have sort of signed off now. That is what it's going to be at the end of the season. Um, when they came to Spurs for the home game, I was like, right, well, this will be Spurs winning. Like, you know, they'd had that slightly slow start, hadn't they, Newcastle, where they were drawing a lot. They weren't losing games, but they weren't winning mm -hmm. that many games. And I just thought, yeah, this is, this is Spurs for the taking because I haven't really paid attention to them that much. It seemed so, like, not relevant. Under the radar. Yeah. And they were so good and their pressing and the cohesion of how they did that. You just go, Eddie Howe, we knew Eddie Howe was good. It's that like end of his Bournemouth reign felt like Eddie different. Wow. Yeah. Eddie Wow. Yeah, it's Eddie Wow. Because it used to be Eddie Why. Yeah, Eddie Why. And then what? now it's Eddie, Eddie Wow. And, yeah, I, and, and the defensively, whether it's Nick Pope coming in there, whether Nick Pope as like a goalkeeper is seems very good at organising and having that sort of presence back there. Um, and it's interesting that, you know, Nick Pope wasn't thought of as a keeper for some of the top, top teams. 
because of his perceived lack of ability on the ball. But you just look at that as like a, a founding basis where you're just like, yeah, it's fine because they can hit it long every now and then if they have to. And they've got players like Isaac and and Wilson who will win those balls. And, and they've got a midfield that are happy to go after second balls. Yeah. They, they've got a midfield that are really combative and, you know, Longstaff and Gimarash is unbelievable. But then the likes of Willock, who, who they're all, they're, they are all really good technical players, but they put in so much effort. Mm. I mean, I don't know what their, their running stats are like, but I imagine their high-intensity sprints are pretty much off the charts. They just look like they really give a shit every time they step onto the pitch. Yeah. And last week, when they lost to Villa 3-0, they were a little bit toothless, and, and there was a lot of blowback from that. A lot of Newcastle fans really furious at the team, and you think, this this sort of thing happens. It's, it's the Premier League. There's some really good teams. Aston Villa are excellent. Mm. It's... Teams get their asses handed to them occasionally, but I think the fact that they've come back in in the manner they did on Sunday was was really really special. I think next season will be more difficult because I think people know a bit more what to expect. I'm sure they'll add more quality to the squad, but they're going to be if they get Champions League. It's it's a different animal as Spurs find out every other season. Yeah, playing Champions League and and trying to be competitive is a very difficult thing to do, and it's you need a Man City type squad with 22 world class players to be able to do it, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's the, the 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 bleakness for the Spurs season is just seeing it just fizzle out like that. Um, but seeing Newcastle push on, you go, all right, I hate all the sports washing stuff. I hate everything around all of that. But it's a likeable team that playing a really good, aggressive game of football. It, it's it's, a, it's an absolute pleasure to watch through, is, through your yeah, hands. Listen to this. Listen to this. You're, you're listening to the live feed of Stuart Law's Comedian being sports washed he's been done <laughs> he's been done yeah sports washing is bad but they play pretty football you're a, you're a wreck pathetic wreck Stu yeah, Laws well, when's your special fan. out you've got you've got <laughs> you've got a brand new special out Stu Laws haven't you tell me about that very quickly before we go to a break it came out last week it's called Stuart Laws is all in and I guess it's uh, it's it's a show about making binary choices for example as an 8 year old boy to make Tottenham Hotspur your team um, that features not at all in the show but it's something I regret every single day at the moment what was the other option Spur, um, Arsenal no no that, that's I suppose were the most sort of local to me and they just you know they had Gazza they had Lineker they were an exciting exciting team right. yeah yeah that'll come back again at some point when you're old and grey um, I mentioned Arsenal there let's actually talk about Arsenal before we do a break mm-hmm. uh, because that Friday night game against Southampton was I didn't see it. It's one of the first games I haven't seen this season. I was watching Charlie Baker's show. Brilliant show. If you like Charlie Baker and you like comedy, go and see it. Um, Arsenal 3-0 was with uh, Southampton. Me and Gary talked about this last week. Where do you sit on this whole bottling? First of all, um, definition of bottling and what it means. But do you think Arsenal are bottling it in any way? I think the problem and try is, not to be too Spurs heavy here. Yeah. Can help it. The problem is, is that there's so much of like social media, Twitter, like you know, Instagram and all of that, like responses to football are based around things like that, bottle jobs, and you know, mm-hmm. sort of trying to pick up on tiny little things and making a narrative out of it. You know, Saka has missed a penalty. He's also missed another penalty at another high-pressure moment, so therefore he's a bottler. Arsenal are bottlers. It's ingrained in their DNA, blah, blah, blah. It's not true. It's just I don't think that like a footballer travels from halfway across the world, gets paid hundreds of thousands of pounds a week, 
and then somehow their DNA fuses with that of like the recent history of a club. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Saka is an incredible footballer and p- incredible footballers miss penalties. That's just what happens. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. This is basically where I stand on it as well, is that it seems to be so binary like your show, Stu. It's like it's Thank either you. it's uh, it's either that they're bottle jobs, pathetic worm bottle jobs, or they are unbelievable goats. Like, yeah. Come on, there's, there's some middle ground. You can lose a football game, you can lose a tournament, you can lose a league without bottling it. It happens. Arsenal happened to be up against one of the best club teams in recent history in Man City yeah. with, as I said earlier, 22 world-class players. They put on pressure, they know how to win 15 games in a row when they need to. It's not a bottle job from Arsenal, it's just they're coming up against a team that have unfair resources compared to them. And it's Arsenal just, you know, have been, uh, it's horrible to say it, but they've been extraordinary at times this season. And they have played yeah, they have. at the absolute limits of what is possible for that squad to play at. And injuries set in, fatigue sets in, everything becomes more difficult. And people be like, oh, well, Man City have been here before. They know what they, they know how to get it over the line. You're like, no, they just have more, better players. That's it. And they have I a think, manager I think, there is, I think there is something in the experience, though. I think there is something in, in knowing what a title running looks and feels like. I think it does help to, to be on a pitch with, with certain players who have won it three or four times. Especially if you're a newer, newer player to the league, you can look over and go, well, there's Gundogan, there's Edison, there's, you know, there's just all these players, De Bruyne, <laughs> guys that have won the league so many times that they do understand it. Because it, it, it is a step into the unknown for certain Arsenal players. So uh, I, I, I read something, there was a letter, I guess, setting into Football 365 of being like trying to explain how they're all bottle jobs sort of thing an Arsenal fan but including Gabriel Jesus and Zinchenko <laughs> in Zinchenko. Them, just being like right. well they've just been kicked out of Man City like, well, they were there and they won like five titles City, and... city rejects yeah, they were yeah. city rejects oh nonsense I've got to hate football fans yeah. anyway hope you're enjoying the show uh, we'll be back <laughs> after this break when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Welcome back to The Whistleblowers. I'm joined with Stuart Laws. Stuart Laws has got a brand new comedy special on YouTube. Stuart, what's it called? Stuart Laws is All In. Stuart Laws is All In. Check it out. Uh, It's excellent. I recommend it thoroughly. Right, in this half of the show, Stu, um, I think we should start by talking about the FA Cup. I thought it was a... An interesting weekend of FA Cup semi-finals. I don't know if you you watched both of them or either of them or none of them. It doesn't really matter too much. The... The intrigue came really from the, the Man United Brighton game. Yeah, uh, Man City sort of did what we expected to do, uh, which was to brush aside Sheffield United reasonably, reasonably easily. Um, 
But let's talk about the United-Brighton game first of all. And let's hear from Sam Pilger. He is a football journalist and Man United fan. There was a real feeling of relief, more than euphoria, when Manchester United made it to the FA Cup final to play Manchester City in June with their penalty shootout victory over Brighton at Wembley on Sunday. It didn't look good. United were on a downward trajectory. The dreadful implosion performance against Sevilla on Thursday. The game was pretty even. I don't think anybody could say they overwhelmingly deserved to win it. Brighton played very well, but so did United. And United probably had the better opportunities of the two sides. But a draw seemed to be fair. But of course, it had to be settled. And so when the penalty shootout started and Brighton went first, which is an advantage, statistically has long been proven with shootouts, and it was at the Brighton end, and unfortunately as well for United, the presence of David De Gea in goal, a fine goalkeeper for United, but one that is known not to save penalties, most famously in the Europa League final, where he conceded 11 consecutive penalties without getting anywhere near them, and then missed the penalty to lose that final himself uh, when he when he took it. It did not bode well. And interestingly, De Gea didn't get near any of Brighton's penalties, but fortunately the one that they missed for United was over the bar. And United's penalties were very good, uh, composed. It seemed to be the story was that either Sancho and uh, Rashford, who famously missed for England in the final of Euro 2020, would miss again. Um, huge burden pressure on them. They both took their penalties very well. Or that Aloni, Sabitza or Verkos would miss theirs. You, you turn up online for a couple of months and, and you miss a penalty like that. But they didn't. They all scored and they scored well. And then it was left to Victor Lindelof, one of United's best players on the day, I, I would suggest, along with Aaron Wan-Bissaka, to slot away the penalty. So um, a huge relief for United. They, they got back late on Thursday, early Friday morning from Seville, from Spain. Brighton, I think this season, played 35 games. United have played in the 50s. Brighton, a very good side. I thought for United to win this game was, was huge credit to their character. And Ten Hag is developing a an ability to bounce back from defeats, um, bad defeats, and he's done it yet again. So uh, United now can look forward to a, a final against City at the start of June. And before then, all they have is league games and trying to cement the all-important place in the top four. There's no distraction of a two-legged semi-final against Juventus, which would have taken a lot of mental and physical energy out of the club. It's all league games with the bonus of the cup final to look forward to. So uh, United uh, uh, bouncing back from Sevilla well and with a cup final to look forward to. Sam Pilger there, check his stuff out, football writer, Man United fan. Uh, thank you, Sam. Uh, Stu, pretty much spot on there, wasn't it? United just had to get through that semi-final. Semi-finals are just for getting through. They're not for playing well in, they're not for scoring lots of goals. They're just for progressing to the final, aren't they? Yeah, that feels right. And... Not a huge amount of talking points, really, from the game for 120 minutes of football. Um, it's a shame I found for Brighton, it intriguing. I found it really interesting. I found it a really interesting semi-final. I thought it was, despite the you know the lack of goals, I thought Brighton were very good. I thought yeah. United were very good in parts. 
thought it was a high quality game. Um, just you know, had it been three all, I think we'd have been raving about it. Yeah, yeah. But it wasn't, so we're not. Um, you're a goalkeeper. You play in goal in your. Mm. Um, is that been your whole football career as a goalie, or, or the just vast the majority stages? of it? Yeah, vast the majority. majority of it. He keeps trying to come um, upfield, but. Yeah, well, please don't do that. Fabian Bartes, version two. Yeah. Um, David De Gea, so he had a difficult time on Thursday night in the Europa League. It looked on Sunday like he was expressly told, do not, under any circumstance, pass the ball out from the back. Get it, lump it, worry about it later. Mm. It felt like a really old school, sort of mid-90s game again, where you know, the sort of compilations you can see now of keepers just picking it up and smashing it, and it looks like an <laughs> alien game. It looks like, I don't know what this game is anymore. Do you think he's got a future at United? Because they can't carry on playing like that, can they? Just lumping it. It feels he feels un uh, Ten Hag as a goalkeeper, right? Um, it yep. doesn't feel like it's a long term solution. And in the same way, maybe without the budget, without the sort of oversight that that Pep was allowed at Man City, where he immediately gets rid of Joe Hart, it just feels like a keeper slightly out of his own time, out of the current time. Yeah, but. He's still an elite shot stopper and will still do a a job for you and you has been a good servant to the club. So you stick around and you go, right, let's focus on the other areas first because that's a lower priority. But as Man United have got better and better this season, apart from the odd blip, it's becoming clearer that they can't play the way that they want to. That's the thing, isn't it? I think they have other areas that need strengthening but I think there's only maybe one area actually I think the striker needs strengthening ahead of a keeper but after that to me it's the keeper because you can't play the football you want to play and you're going to keep getting under pressure if you're lumping it long still it just doesn't strike there's not many strikers really around at the minute that are good at that traditional number nine role of backing in and winning those first balls Mm. Harry Kane maybe one of them Ossiemen at Napoli is one of them I think but they're pretty few and far between, really. So if, like you said a minute ago, it's, it doesn't feel like De Gea is a keeper for this moment in time. Five years ago, yeah. Mm. But not anymore. To me, it's a really high priority for them to get a proper keeper in who can, not a proper keeper, but a keeper who can build from the back, particularly when you have the likes of Martinez, who's very good at passing and, and making these line-breaking passes from centre-back. Yeah, I yeah. think they could be maybe not that far away from possibly challenging in the next couple of seasons. Possibly, Which, yeah. It's, I guess there's depends what's happening with Casemiro, how 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 long he's got it left in the legs. But again, people thought he was coming over here and was a fraud and would be found out in the the best league in the entire world, where you can't have any passengers mm-hmm. and then immediately dominated. But that midfield still seems league. like an issue. Um, personally, like obviously it's got another okay. season in it, but. What's the long-term plan? It feels like Ten Hag is trying to build something there. I find it interesting because didn't Onana get sent home from the World Cup because he was arguing with them about uh, the plans to pass out from the back? They just wanted him to lump it. That's right. And he obviously was at Ajax and was a key part of that sort of team and that ability that that, that team had to sort of play out from the back. Obviously got found out against a proper team. But... It feels like De Gea's time is done and there's this bunch of keepers, including David Raya. I guess David Raya is much sought after and yep. Spurs, I know, have an eye on him, but it feels like that's a pretty good fit for, for Man United. A, a keeper that knows the league isn't going to have the adjustment period that De Gea had when, when he arrived as well. 
Yeah, I think so. I think, in fact, they'd probably they'd probably take a keeper who wasn't so good at shot stopping as De Gea in favour of someone who you know who who is an option, who is that eleventh man on the ball, and you, you do need that. This is different. I, when I hear someone like Tim Sherwood or Graham Souness talk about how football, yeah, the, the game doesn't change, the game hasn't changed in a hundred years. I think, what, do you even watch sport? Do you watch football? Because <laughs> in the last five years, it has changed yeah. beyond recognition. Every team now. If if it's not a full press, they certainly press to some point, and almost every team play from the back using their keeper. Yeah. This isn't. It's not. It doesn't look the same. I don't know if you if these guys are watching football because it just doesn't look the same anymore. I don't. What, what are they talking about? The game constantly is evolving and changing and moving on. So you know, I don't think it's a mad thing to say that maybe keepers shouldn't be prioritised by their shot stopping. Maybe they should be. You know, you've got to be good at that to a certain point. But maybe it's about keepers that can. Keep hold of the ball. And yes, you will concede some goals because there'll be a mistake from passing out the back. But the goals that you score... And Pep said this when he first started, What didn't he? When everyone was saying, why are you getting rid of Joe Hart? Well, he's going to show you why he got rid of Joe Hart. Because mm. he needed to work through keepers till he found one that could actually play the game. And show Joe uh, Hart know, is, is capable of doing those performances like he had against Barcelona where it seemed like nothing would get past him. But also, yeah. all elite goalkeepers are, or, or, or top-level goalkeepers are capable of performances like that. Because right. that's that's how they end up as goalkeepers and get to that level. It's the extra part of playing out from the back, creating scoring opportunities, being part of the team in a way that you know, if you are a slightly more old-fashioned goalkeeper, it is more difficult. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Stu. Let's um, we'll sort of talk about our last section now because I want to talk about the relegation battle. Looks to me now as though West Ham are probably going to be okay. Fantastic yeah. result for them away at Bournemouth, 4-0. How much of West Ham have you seen? And do you think David Moyes has pretty much cemented himself at that club for the next season? Yeah, it feels seeing them against against Arsenal, you just you just think to yourself, you know, last last weekend, how are they down there? And it just happens with teams like this sometimes because the Premier League is so competitive that you look down there and you just go like, you know, look at where Leicester have been recently. And they are barely, they're out of the relegation zone on goal difference only. So, of course, a team like West Ham are going to occasionally have a run of games where things don't go their way, where things don't quite work out, or there's some injuries, and they will plummet down the league because it's impossible to maintain it and also be in the Europa Conference League and to do all of that sort of stuff. Sure, there was a period of time where the football was pretty bad, but the core of it and Moyes hasn't just become a bad manager or lost that dressing room I don't think because you see what they are capable of and you're like great that's a really good team yeah. the issue is when Declan Rice goes I guess <clears throat> yeah that, that's that's the, the sort of looming issue they're going to have to face in the summer they'll hope to get it done early I imagine if he's going to mm. go go early get the money in the building try and get a replacement I don't know who that replacement is but you'd imagine they have some people lined up because he, he's probably been their most important player for a, f- a good few seasons. Mm. And the fact that he's been there for so long as a, you know, I know he left, left Chelsea as a youth, but he's been at that club for a long time. He'll be a big gap to, to fill. But generally, Stu, that the bottom part of that league, the bottom third of the division, it's still very, very tight. Southampton showing that they're still fighting, getting a great result with Arsenal. I was gutted for them not to win that game, actually, because yeah, it yeah. would have been huge for them. Uh, Everton getting some positive results. Okay, they didn't win um, on Saturday, but they got a result. Leicester got a huge victory on Saturday. Leeds look like they're in free fall. So do Forest. 
Uh, who's going down, Stu? I can't work it out. I can't work it out. I think Bournemouth it, might be okay now. It's so weird to go from like just a few weeks ago where it was like not in Forest. Yeah, sure, they've had a couple of bad results, but they're they're in a good position. They'll kick yeah, on a little bit. We Their home thought. form, great. Yeah. Here we go. But I look at Wolves, thirty-four points, same as West Ham. But I don't feel like Wolves are going in the same direction as West Ham. They don't have the options. I don't think that West Ham have. So I feel like I think even Wolves are fine. They're probably fine, but I also could see that just slipping backwards. If if Everton can dice ball their way to a couple of 1-0 wins, <laughs> yeah. then suddenly that sort of changes. Leicester, I don't know. They they go and wallop Spurs 4-1 in the in the midst of like a huge losing run. So they're capable of it. They've got the players there, but well maybe this it this does tie back in. You need people who have been through this before, who've survived the drop before. Yeah. And to I, do I, I do Leicester think that, have I think that? experience is a big thing. No, I don't think Leicester do. I think Leicester are used to being at at least mid table, quite comfortable, and, and you know mm. playing, being allowed to play nice football. You know, it's, it's it's a different thing that when the pressure's on the way it is, it's much much harder to play free flowing, mm. carefree football. It just doesn't exist. But I do think now there's a bit of a gap opening up. I, f- I feel like between. Up to recently, it was basically 13th onwards could go down. Now I feel like it's 16th onwards. There's a little four-point gap opened up there between Leeds and Bournemouth. So we've got Leeds, Leicester, Everton, Forest, Southampton. Pick you three, Stu. <sighs> it's Southampton, it's Forest, it's Leeds. Yeah, as a Derby fan, I would definitely take that. <laughs> definitely take that. All right, look, that's all we've got time for this week on Whistleblowers. Can Stu, we give, can we give a little your, uh, shout-out? Oh, oh, what's sorry. this? No, go ahead. What's your little shout out? Give a little shout out to Wrexham for making it. Oh, are we doing this? Come on, give a little shout out to oh. the boys. I don't know, man. Yeah, well done, well done, Wrexham. And let's hope Notts County get up in the playoffs <laughs> as well, because those are two extraordinary teams that needed to be promoted this season. Yeah, well done, Wrexham. Well done, Wrexham. Good stuff. All right, we'll be back. <laughs> Uh, the same time. In fact, I'm not here next week. I'm not here. So I don't know if the show will go ahead. Can the show survive without me? Wouldn't have thought so. No. Who's got the Who's got the balls to really step up and take this show on? Grab it by the horns. We'll find out. Uh, Stu, give us one last plug for your uh, brilliant new stand-up show on YouTube. Pop onto YouTube. Type in Stuart Lords is all in. It's on the 800-pound Gorilla YouTube channel. They're an American distribution channel. They've got a load of incredible stand-up comedy specials on there. And then they've squeezed mine on, on as well. There? Kyle Kinane. Pierre Novelli. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, watch those as well. Watch Stuart's first and then watch those guys. Yeah. All right. Nice one, Stu. Thanks for joining us here. We'll be back same. We won't be back next week. Well, I keep saying that. I'll be back in two weeks' time. Have a good one. Sports Social Podcast Network.